Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello, hello. Please like and subscribe. I'm really honoured to be joined by Matthew Desmond, who is a brilliant uh, sociologist and also a Pulitzer Prize winning author. His new book, uh, Poverty by America, is now out and everyone needs to read it. It's a brilliant book and couldn't be more timely. Hey, Matthew. Oh, that's my cat. Just so everyone's watching, who's watching this. I have two feral cats. One second. This is one of them. So if this is Rickman. <laughs> so when the camera wobbles, just so you know, there isn't an earthquake. Hmm. Um, or or some other dramatic event. It's just a fa- oh, pushing me in the face, are you, <laughs> Matthew? Let's just start, shall we? Um, why in countries with huge amounts of wealth and resources do does poverty? It's a ba- very basic question. Why does poverty still exist when there is actually all the wealth and resources available to eliminate poverty in its entirety in a country like the United States? Right. Why does the United States have 38 million people that can't afford basic necessities? That's basically the population of Australia. Why do we have, you know, one in three people in my country living on $55,000 or less, which isn't officially poor, but what else do you call that when you're living in Miami or Portland and try to raise two kids? And the short answer is because we've decided to have a country that does that. We've, we've made a conscious decision as a country to subsidize affluence over alleviate poverty. We continue to exploit the poor in the labor market and the housing market and the financial market. And we continue to be segregationists and exclude the poor from neighborhoods of opportunity. So Poverty by America is a title that's meant to convey that this is an, a project of ours. This is our doing and we can undo it. One of the things I'm interested in is this idea of socialism for the rich and capitalism Mm. for the poor. What do we mean by that? So Michael Harrington in The Other America uh, wrote that sentence. You know, he he called it socialism, socialism for the rich and free enterprise for the poor, capitalism for the poor. And what he meant was often the welfare state is seen as something that delivers a good to the poor, right? Uh, A housing subsidy, health care. But if you look at the total welfare state in America, and I believe the same is, is true in the UK as well, you see a lot of benefits flowing to the rich. You see tax breaks, especially flowing to the, the upper and upper middle class. So in America, the top 20% of income earners receive about $35,000 a year from the government, and the bottom 20% of income earners receive only $25,000. That's a 40% difference. And so we've chosen to really guard fortunes uh, over ending poverty. Uh, we have a lopsided imbalanced safety net. Um, I mean, it's interesting you talk about that. I just give housing, because I mean, obviously there are differences and similarities with the British and the US experience. In Britain, we had a mass council house building program after World War II. It was done by the health secretary, Nye Bevan, because of the understanding that housing and health couldn't be separated. Um, and the idea was to build council housing, public housing, that was of a better quality than than private housing. That was the original dream. And to have mixed communities. In the 1980s, you had a policy called right to buy where they were flogged off right. en masse. 
And now what happens is um, 40% of that former social stock is now let out by buy-to-let private landlords charging twice the rent. And at the same time, housing benefit, billions of pounds, subsidizes those private landlords. So I'm just interested in what you think about that as an example in, in the US experience, which didn't have the same sort of public housing intended to, to support mixed communities. That was never quite what happened. Right. You have this kind of right to buy sliding into a, a right to let, right? So 1988 in the UK, I believe 9% of household owners were renters in the private market. Today, it's around 20%, right? So this kind of Thatcher experiment of, uh, of home ownership for, for council housing seemed to, to be an enormous failure. And I think that the bigger point of this, or one big point that we can take out of this is, you know, we need not just deeper investments in ending poverty, more money directed at families that need it the most. We need different policies. We need policies that really disrupt poverty and not accommodate it. So the kind of thing you're talking about, right, the kind of uh, housing benefit for private landlords is something that's incredibly useful to families that, that benefit from it, but does nothing to attack the root cause of the problem. And this is something that we've seen in the United States as well. We, we have the same thing. Our biggest affordable housing program is a housing voucher program that I've, I've, I've championed, I've fought for, and I also recognize that uh, we need something bigger if we want to reach for longer-term permanent solutions or take the labor market in the United States. So every year, around $60 billion is dedicated to something we call the earned income tax credit which is basically a once a year bump up for low wage workers. Huge policy, um, lifts millions of families above the poverty line, but keeps wages low, right? Depresses wages because it's a handout to corporations. So I think we really need to think about these problems, not just as something we need more of, right? Deeper investments in that kind of thing, but policies that do something different to build a permanent way out of poverty. Um, I mean, you, you write about societies being polarized, divided between private luxury and public squalor. What do you mean? So what happens when you have um, massive riches alongside mass poverty? And what happens is a system locks in where the rich try to disinvest from the public goods. You know, we used to want to get away from bosses. Now we want to get away from bus drivers. We don't want to have to take the public transportation. We don't want to have to send our kids to public schools. We don't need public parks or public pools. We have our private clubs. And so in the UK where the public transportation infrastructure, for example, is just more advanced than in most American cities, uh, that might not be the same extent in America, but in most American cities, the only people that ride the bus are low-income folks. You know, the only, you know, there are schools, there are entire public school systems in major US cities where most of the children live below or around the poverty line. And as that public you know, squalor, private opulence system locks in, the rich have a bigger and bigger incentive not to invest in the public purse. So they fight for lower taxes, bigger tax rates because their families aren't benefiting from the public system. And look, that is a system that really diminishes all of us. You know, it diminishes all of us. You know, we can, walk out of our $5 million condo in San Francisco and, you know, uh, walk around and just see mass homelessness. We can see um, our public school systems failing. We can see our neighbors, you know, struggling with, with scarcity all around us. 
And so this is something that, that benefits the rich, but it also diminishes everyone uh, in such a society. Margaret Thatcher said in 1978, nowadays there really is no primary poverty left in this country. In Western countries, yeah. we are left with the problems which aren't poverty. All right, there may be poverty because people don't know how to budget, don't know how to spend their earnings. But now you are left with a really hard fundamental character personality defect. And the reason I say that is what we, I think, saw from the late 1970s onwards was a shift away from, you know, the attitude after World War II was that poverty was a social defect, that society mm. was organized in such a way that it led to injustice and therefore you needed a collective solution, which in the case of Britain was the welfare state, the National Health Service and so on. From the late 70s onwards, there was a shift to the idea that poverty was because of individual decisions, individual failings, and that actually the welfare state merely propped up those individual failings. And that's why you needed the stick rather than the carrot. I just wondered how much you thought that shift, because you saw that in America in a way that actually was often quite racialized. Talking yeah. welfare queens was often dog whistle for talking about poor black Americans. But in terms of how that shift in attitudes has really helped prop up poverty in, in the way it exists in the United States and Britain? I think it's justified a cruelty um, directed at the poor and it's absolved us often from looking at how our lives are implicated in all mm -hmm. this, this poverty around us. I wanna go out on a limb here and say, I think that the tides are turning here, at least in America. I think that Americans are interested in a very different story um, most Republicans and most Democrats now uh, report that poverty isn't a, a product of moral failing. It's a cause of unfair circumstances. I think what we as a country haven't faced is how we are often responsible for those unfair circumstances and the moral failings that many of us um, contribute to by, by living in ways that are... Um, are out of solidarity with the poor that contribute to poverty. I also just on the, you know, on the welfare stigma point, you know, just putting on my sociology hat for a second, like if you dig into the data, just welfare dependence just never has been a giant problem. Even when there was at, at the forefront of the public debate in the 80s, uh, it just wasn't something that people stayed on for a long time. And the bigger problem as I write about in the book is welfare avoidance. The fact that so many poor folks just turn away from aid that's available to them. And there's no official count for this, but I, I added up in the book, like how many um, low-income families don't uh, take the food stamps that are available to them or the social insurance or the unemployment insurance or these wage subsidies that I mentioned before. And if you add that up, you learn that every year about $140 billion is left on the table in, in unused aid. You know, so the, the poor in America, at least, are frankly terrible at being welfare dependent. I, I wish they were better at it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um. In, in the book, you write about how uh, to understand the causes of poverty, we must look beyond the poor. Those of us living lives of privilege and plenty must examine ourselves. Are we, we the secure, the insured, the housed, the college educated, the protected, the lucky, connected to all this needless suffering? I suppose just a couple of things there. How, how do we firstly avoid self-flagellation or just kind of moral self-flagellation for the sake of it or kind of this paternalism, I guess, a kind of paternalistic attitude? And the other is, I don't know, is there a danger of breaking down a kind of solidarity between middle income and low income people? Because a lot of people who are on middle incomes, who are, who are housed, for example, who might have gone to university, lots of people go to university, then end up in low paid, insecure jobs. That isn't there a danger of breaking down that solidarity of making people think, well, actually, if you're in the top 80 percent, you're OK, as though people in the kind of, you know, who are just above the top bottom 20 percent are somehow in any way connected to the top 1% when they're not. Do you see what I mean? Totally. I think that that we, in that sentence anyways, is really directed at the top 20% of Americans. I don't want to go down this road where we just think about only t focusing on the super, super rich. You know, I think that's an incredibly morally urgent conversation to have. But I also think it's one that just gets a lot of us off the hook, you know, and it doesn't um, provoke introspection or kind of a searching of our of our own lives. So I don't think this is targeted at the middle class. For example, the middle class in America really don't benefit from the mortgage interest deduction, this giant tax break for homeowners that cost the country over $190 billion a year, which is more than triple our investment, what we invest in direct housing assistance to the needy. That's a benefit that basically is upwardly pushed to white families with six-figure incomes. Um, these are the families that I'm, I'm mostly talking about here. And I also think that what I'm talking about isn't just um, some families have to take a loss, you know, and, you know, it's time for other folks to eat. I'm also talking about reaching for a country that is happier, that is safer, that is more connected, that is more broadly prosperous than the one we have now. I think there's plenty of people in America that are comfortable in their money and are terrified about their children's future and are terrified about just going out at, out at night. And so that doesn't seem to be a great way to have a country. A couple of other things. Why do you think it's more expensive to be poor? Or do you, what do you think of that statement? It's more expensive to be poor. I think it's, it's true in a sense because the poor lack choice and they're made to pay for their poverty. So if you just look at the financial sector, for example, you know, only about 9% of people that are, are banking pay overdraft fees. Well, how much are those overdraft fees every year? They're about $12 billion a year. So how, who are those 9%? They're low income folks that overdraw their account by 20 bucks and the bank piles on fees and, and all of a sudden they have to pay $200 to get that 20 bucks back. They're folks that don't have credit or are unbanked. 
right? And have to mm -hmm. take out a payday loan, which can have, you know, interest rates 400, 500%, you know? Um, so many people take out a payday loan for a hundred bucks and end up paying $500 on them. Yeah. You, you add all this up, you know, and by my calculation, the poor basically are paying $60 million a day, a day, just to access credit and their own money, you know? And so I think that this is a way that it's incredibly expensive to be poor. Many of us who are middle-class, we have free checking accounts because those free accounts are, you know, based on overdraft fees subsidized by the poorest bankers. We could talk about the housing system too, if you want, along these lines. Well, the, the, I've got to, before I ask my final question, what I was going to ask <laughs> you is, um, how is it, how is poverty a profitable industry or in, in what sense? Because it's something you look at. I mean, because a lot of people think that's counterintuitive on the basis that right. the poor do not have deep pockets. There's not, not, not much money by definition you would think to be made by people who are poor. So how has poverty become a source of profit? Right. So we just talked about all the giant fees that are pulled out of the pockets of the poor because they're exploited in that financial market. But, you know, look at the labor market. You know, there was a time in the American labor market where if you got a job, your wages were going up every year. You had benefits. You had a pretty clear path to advancement in your company. And we are so far away from that labor agreement today. So why? You know, do people who earn poverty wages, do they have to for their job to exist? The research has a clear answer to that. And that clear answer is, is no. You know, poor... Mm -hmm folks are paid so little because they've lost power. You know, unions are now weak, wages are st stagnant, and corporate profits have grown. So in that sense, someone's loss is another's gain. Or you look at the, the housing market. You know, most poor families have just one option when it comes to where to live. They can rent from a private landlord and pay at least 50% of their income to rent in utilities, which is the average cost of housing for families below the poverty line who are renting today. The waiting list for public housing is not counted in years anymore, it's counted in decades. So I've got two young kids now. If I applied for public housing today in mm -hmm. my nation's capital, I'd likely be a grandfather by the time my application came up for, for review. And the poor are shut out of uh, homeownership options, not because they can't afford a mortgage, but because they aren't offered any. The banks just aren't interested in lending uh, small dollar amounts for affordable homes. So they're stuck. And so one study shows that landlords in poor neighborhoods don't just make more than landlords in, in affluent neighborhoods, they make double. They make double. Why? Because housing costs are much lower, but rents aren't that much lower. And so it's not that poor families are living in poor neighborhoods because that's the only place they can afford. It's because it's the only place that allows them to live there. They don't have a lot of choice. And because of that, they're a profit to someone else because a bad deal for you is a good deal for me. Final question. A frequent misquoting of Jesus Christ is that the poor will always be with us. Mm. It's not actually what he said, <laughs> but we'll just go, we'll just, or what he's alleged to have said. I'm not going to get bogged down in a theolo theological discussion about the existence of Jesus Christ. But that's this idea that whatever happens, there will always be poverty. There's just nothing you can do to abolish poverty Permanently, it's just a fact of life. What would you say to that? I say that's quite an unchristian idea, and it certainly is one that belies any statement to 
the national greatness for our respective countries. I mean, the Bible I read has sentences like, I, the Lord, hate exploitation. You know, I hate robbery, Isaiah 61. You know, I have, you know, Jesus saying, and it's harder for a rich man, you know, it's, you know, it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. These are serious indoctrinations against wealth and exploitation in the Bible. And like, what happened to our ambition as our as a country? What happened to the ambition of America that um, that wanted to be a light on the hill? What happened even to like the ambition of the early capitalists, which saw this system as like something that would wipe out poverty? And I'm just so tired of this, like as good as it gets ism that's kind of taken mm -hmm. over our policy imagination today. This kind of like, well, I don't know if we can do any better. And if you just look at the massive riches that our countries have and confront the fact that like we have so much wealth and we can do so much more, it seems like this kind of like tossing up our hands, nothing can ever change. It's just, it's a failure of moral imagination. And it's a, frankly, it's a failure of morality in general, I think. I think poverty persists in our country, not just because poverty or policy failures, but because of moral failing as well. Amen. Poverty by America is a must-read book by Matthew Desmond, um, not just because we're in the midst of a huge cost-of-living crisis, which mm. at some point may subside in its current form, but that doesn't obviously eradicate the huge entrenched poverty inequalities, which don't just scar our respective societies, but actually define fundamentally the societies in which we live. And this book is a hugely important contribution uh, to the struggle against that defining injustice and a clarion um, cry against that injustice. So thank you so much, Matthew. And everyone, please do go in, get yourself a copy of his brilliant book. Cheers, Matthew. Thank you, Owen. It's always a pleasure to see you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.